0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Autocar Business Editor's Briefing. I'm here today with our correspondent, Nick Gibbs, and joining us for the first time is uh, Sam Fiorani from our partner, Auto Forecast Solutions, whose uh, monthly reports on the global car industry you can read on autocar.co.uk forward slash autocarbusiness regularly. Uh, and uh, we've got him along for the first time and appropriate time because we're going to be talking today uh, quite extensively about the latest EV targets that've been announced by the Biden administration. Sam, could you just shed some light on uh, on why we care about them in a global sense? Why are we talking about them in the UK?
1: Well, uh the demand for EVs in the United States is big and it's it's pushing a lot of these new incentives in North America are pushing a lot of the production into North America to, just to get in, uh, the incentives uh for uh, 7500 up to $7500 per vehicle which makes vehicles a lot more affordable and by drawing the, the all this production into north america it's drawing production away from regions like western europe eastern europe uh, japan korea uh, and pulling a lot of incent, a lot of investment away from those areas that that would have normally built tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of evs destined for north america
0: it's a laudable, uh, it's a laudable objective by the Biden administration, surely, to uh, to target the emissions re- uh, reductions. Is it also a protectionist policy?
1: It, it's not so much a protectionist policy as uh, uh, a political ploy to to get more jobs in North America. Uh, we're in a year where uh, there's new negotiations with the unions in North, in the United States and Canada. There's. Uh, always a, a political bent for everything that's done in North America. So uh, we're in, in 23 right now. There's a, a presidential election next year. All these things roll into the next big move for for politics. So, you know, the uh, Biden administration wants to keep the Democrats in power. Anything to keep jobs going is a, a good thing, especially in a, at a bad economy like we are having now. Uh, this is all politically motivated and not so much uh, protectionist directly, but it, it, it in the in the end it becomes protectionist.
0: It's easy to see how uh, certain u s. manufacturers, uh, you, you know the Ford and general motors can can benefit quite easily and quite quickly from these policies. Are we already seeing uh, a global shift towards the u s. as a manufacturing base as a result of policies like this? Oh,
1: absolutely. We're uh, we have a large a couple large plants from Hyundai and Kia in in the south southeast corner of the United States, and they had already planned on building EVs in North America, but their plan was down the road a couple of years. They, they needed to upgrade the plant, get everything ready, and, and first build a, a base of customers who wanted Hyundai and Kia EVs. Well, this has rushed everything, and now all those things are being fast tracked so that we can get more Hyundai vehicles being built uh, in the South. Uh, we've already started production of Genesis models in, uh, in the United States that are EVs. And uh, it, uh, last week at uh, the New York Auto Show, they announced that Kia will be building uh, an EV in, in the United States as well.
0: Okay, so Nick, uh, obviously good news for, for US manufacturing, good news for US jobs. What will it mean for us? We've talked about this a little bit before. Uh, and when I say us, I refer to sort of Europe and the UK. Um, do we risk losing our industry?
2: Well, yes, when you say R, I I think, I mean, European, uh, the UK is already going down the path of uh, losing its industry, uh, unfortunately. Um, um, I mean, in in the wider Europe, yes, uh, they're looking at all the incentives, you know, sort of $7,500 off a car, uh, electric car, if it's made in in, in North America or a country with a North American trade agreement. Um, You know, it's hard to ignore that, especially when you add in, are the subsidies for um for manufacturing batteries uh uh some uh, some supply chain subsidies as well so it's all looking very good i mean the the um what was announced uh this week is is the stick to go with the carrot obviously so you know you have to you know, i think the um the average uh, co2 level translated to grams per kilometers which is what we use over here is uh 51 which is which is nothing i mean there, there is no a pure um, uh, uh, petrol or diesel car that can get that. So you're gonna have to put a lot of uh, electric into the mix and and the Biden administration reckons it's about two thirds. So yeah, uh, with those, I think that would give um, a lot of certainty to manufacturers, even if they might complain, you know, because it says, okay, we're going down the electric path, let's go all in.
0: One, uh, One argument we've heard uh, not too recently, uh, but at the Paris Motor Show last year, was uh, was Carlos Carlos Tavares who said uh, that by not imposing tariffs on on Chinese cars, uh, particularly in Europe, uh, we wish we we risk driving demand away from from local manufacturers and, and thereby risk you know shutting down factories that build cars for this market. Um, what what does the US do differently, Sam, uh, to to Europe in that sense?
1: Uh, Under the Trump administration, they added a lot of tariffs on Chinese products. And this has cut off almost all uh, plans for Chinese manufacturers to sell in North America or in the United States. Uh, They are still focusing on Mexico. But in the United States, we get currently three models that are sourced out of China. And there are a handful more that are coming, but they're all high-end models. Uh, the, The basis of a Chinese vehicle is usually on price. And you see that in europe with uh, uh, byd and mg selling fairly well with their electric vehicles in in the you united know, in uk and europe but uh, plans for those vehicles to be built to be sold in the united states are on hold until they build up a manufacturing base in north america uh, something along those lines It, it just bringing chinese vehicles into the united states has always been a risky uh, push because uh, American buyers are leery of, of new countries of production. We had the, the problem with we had the problem with Germany right after World War II. We had a problem with Japan in the 60s and 70s, Korea in the 80s and 90's, and now it's China. So we're just right now all Chinese vehicles sold in the United States are on hold or, or new ones are on hold uh, going forward.
0: Do you think uh, do you think the Chinese manufacturers care all too much about that? I mean, you only have to look at BYD's rocketing sales figures and the the growing share it has of the global. uh, They call it the NEV market, I believe. uh, New energy vehicle uh, to wonder if they need if they need the U.S. at all. Do you think it's an attractive market for a company like BYD? A
1: a market as big as the United States has to be attractive to any company trying to grow globally. Uh, It's it's. Breaking into this market, uh, same same with UK or EU, it, it proves that you have uh, a viable product. You can there are plenty of markets around the world where you can add your vehicle in there and it'll sell reasonably well. But anything will sell reasonably well in those countries based on price alone. In in the United States, in the EU, in the UK, you have to bring a first class product. Uh, there's just too many choices out there, and this would prove that the chinese are ready to to be considered on the same tier with every global player um not having the market uh, takes away tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of of potential vehicles sold it, it's definitely a, a dent in your in your global expansion plan for a byd for an mg for uh geely for cheery for any of these uh Manufacturers looking outside of, of the Chinese borders.
0: Nick, with a bit yeah. of a cynical, cynical hat on, it feels like the US is doing everything possible to protect its national automotive industry, and then the the EU is is almost, you know, do, doing nothing uh, in that vein. Uh, well,
2: what... I mean, you say nothing. There, there there have been a lot of subsidies available to um, for for battery manufacturers, uh, and, and so we've got uh, quite a few plants coming in. Um, and, you know, a lot of that has been directed by uh, both national and EU-wide uh, subsidies. Uh, I mean, we have to mention UK and UK does its bit, but uh, obviously haven't got the same clout. And uh, outside of the U- e- EU, it's, it's a less attractive place and so therefore would have to spend more than it's got. But um, I think, you, you know, the EU, the, yes, they the, the manufacturers do have a... A problem with the EU, they reckon that they should be going all in with, you know, with Biden-style subsidies um, to uh, replicate the Inflation Reduction Act. But um, I, and we might possibly see uh, a bigger push to uh, keep manufacturing here because, yes, we we we're losing manufacturing to the US for cars that would otherwise be built in Europe to be exported mm-hmm. to the US. And we're gaining imports from China, where manufacturing is cheaper, especially for batteries, because their supply battery supply chain is uh, so advanced. Um, so, yeah, we have we, we've got the squeeze on both sides. I don't think we're going to see too many more um, U.S. cars coming into Europe. Um, perhaps a, perhaps a few, um, but I think I think the EU does need to step up and you know sort of fight for its corner
0: a bit more than it has been i'll come back to what you just said about us cars coming to europe uh, because that's particularly relevant at the moment but how much reassurance should we take from uh you know ford has committed to to building uh evs in valencia uh, post mondeo post s max kia has just said it's going to build small evs in europe which is a especially attractive proposition um, in the grand scheme of things. Are, are they brilliant big news stories or, or should we exercise some caution?
2: Well, they're not. I mean, they're just replacing uh, combustion engine vehicles. Every every new announcement now is pretty much going to be um, EVs. You know, if you haven't got an EV coming into your factory, then you have to ask what is the future of that factory? Uh, Ford in Valencia replacing uh, they're replacing models that are going or gone, the Mondeo, Galaxy, S Max, things like that. Um, so, you know, great that it's going, but don't forget they've also, uh, they're going to lose uh, Sarlouis, a plant in Germany where they make the focus, and uh, and they've radically downsized the um, Cologne plant where they will make this, um, they'll make the new Explorer,
0: the electric one with the VW the platform. I'm glad you've mentioned the Explorer because the uh, the next topic I thought we should discuss uh, on a similar vein, actually, is the potential Ford has in Europe uh, under its new strategy of applying an American ethos to its products uh, and, you know, following a much more streamlined product strategy. Sam, could you just tell us a little bit about how Ford has changed uh, in the U.S. over the past two decades? It's such a commercial vehicle focus um, and that's, that's quite different to what we've known in the UK?
1: Ford has always been uh, a truck focused company uh, in the United States. The best selling vehicle in for the last four decades has been the Ford F series and it, the market itself has shifted towards trucks back in the eighties when we had uh, the cafe rules where uh, there was a push for tighter fuel economy on cars and trucks but less so on trucks, the market shifted towards trucks. And so we, we saw the growth of sport utilities and crossovers strictly because of this uh, cafe push. So now the market, which was 60, 70% cars back in the seventies is now turned all the way around. And now we're looking at 60% trucks today. And Ford has taken that lead and there's virtually no market for a sedan in the United States. So Ford has stopped production of all cars except for the Mustang in the United States, in North America. And uh, uh, the, the idea that that would happen in Europe as well, with uh, the Explorer replacing the production at Cologne and uh, the Cougar, the, um, the, the whole intention of Ford going towards trucks is a global thing. It's, everybody is looking at sport utilities and crossovers and not looking at traditional sedans and hatchbacks, and you can make more money. You can uh, uh, sell them at a higher price and make a higher profit because these are virtually cars just with a higher ride height, and uh, it doesn't cost much more to engineer them. But it makes a lot more on the other end because the consumers are willing to pay more for for a crossover. Uh, and and on a side note, the the whole this whole Explorer thing is confusing Americans to no end when the news came out that there was an explorer being built in germany and it's an ev I'm like yeah we're getting an ev as well and it's going to be a completely different unrelated vehicle so it's just confusing a lot of people just using that name on both sides of the atlantic
2: yeah that that, that, can, that sort of confused me as well um i, that, I think the, the the difference between europe and america is that in in, in america uh ford has this uh, great uh, uh crossover between you know sort of consumer trucks and uh work trucks so you know, they're almost the same thing a pickup could be used by you know somebody who wants, wants to go to the supermarket but also you know for, for their day job but over here you, you know uh the uh, board's big commercial area are vans which don't have that same consumer crossover because uh other than you know, sort of like people who want to go camping. Nobody really wants to buy a van. So uh, the idea that uh, America, that Ford are going to sort of Americanize its vehicles in terms of its marketing, I think is going to be is a little far fetched because you've got it. It doesn't quite have the same sort of sort of macho blue collar roll up your sleeves image as it does in the US. So, so Nick, do you think the uh, Americanization,
1: and I'm using air quotes for the Americanization of uh, Ford in Europe is to, uh, to consolidate the products and potentially um, keep the, the products the same on both sides of the Atlantic? So it, it saves on, uh, back to the Ford One, pro- yeah. uh, one <laughs> Ford program from 20 years ago, is it to save engineering costs so you can build the same products on
2: both sides of the Atlantic? No, it's it, it's not actually that. I'm sure they'd love to do that, but uh, we, the, the truth is, we buy vastly different vehicles over here. You know, we, 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 our vehicles are much smaller. Um, they're uh, uh, and it, it, uh, I apologise in advance; here, they're a bit more sophisticated, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, they, uh, and so that they they don't really have that. That's part of the reason why they went to VW for the uh, for the uh, electric platform. Um, I think what instead what they want to do is sort of create this sort of brand image. Uh, they are sort of struggling, you know, to capture what Ford means, and they think that if they sort of go with the, the American angle, they can, you, you know, sort of, sort of coalesce a lot of the, the consumers' opinions about what a Ford is and that sort of sort of rough, adventurous, go anywhere, and angled towards SUVs. I I, it, you know, it remains to be seen how successful that is, but so I'm slightly skeptical that uh, uh, the audience here even really understands that Ford is an American brand.
1: Yeah, the, the idea that uh, you would sell an Italian Fiat or a German Volkswagen or an English Mini and an American Ford it does give you a, a, an image to the brand that that is relatively unique in Europe, but still, uh, um, I don't see how. It's going to help them come out of the doldrums right now. Well, our editorial
0: director raised a very good point uh, just last week in in his column. He he spoke about how Ford's American themed reinvention in in Europe has echoes of when Chevrolet sold here briefly, <laughs> uh, it didn't sell here, I should say, rather more accurately. Um, wh- why didn't that work?
1: They they didn't build there either, so they the vehicles That's were. Were sourced out of Eastern Europe or uh, North America, uh, which or started, Korea, yeah, or Korea, right? So the the products were not not necessarily tailored to Europe. They were the smaller vehicles that were sold elsewhere, um, just like uh, the the European Fords. <clears throat> They're the smaller vehicles on the on the global uh, showroom, and uh, it, it's not it's not it's it's not necessarily a, a european plan you know the it's we're looking at small crossovers for europe but uh, are they tailored to europe are they uh, bringing anything european even if it's an american flavor uh, is there is there a buyer in europe looking for an american flavor uh, aside from a mustang or a corvette
2: no i yeah, you make a good point i don't i don't think there is but i mean i think I also don't think it's going to hamper them too much you know I mean you can just ignore that bit and uh, and see the puma for example as being a very europeanized um car that does extremely well within its sector so you know, I, I I don't it, yeah, it, it might help them uh I think it's easy to ignore and so it won't hamper them too much
0: it feels like uh the days of designing a car for europe um while maybe they're not over completely but that that concept of a european focused car has changed so dramatically i mean look at the jeep avenger that's that's a european conceived product but it's still you know a fairly large car by by in the grand scheme of things what we have seen recently and perhaps promisingly is volkswagen's plan for a european focused ev one that is small and one that should be attainable at 22000 pounds Nick, I wanted to come to you on this because you've written a piece recently which explores how they could make a car for that price. Bluntly, is it possible and is it going to be feasible?
2: Well, they, they're convinced it is. And, and and if you've got your supply chain ducks all lined up uh, in terms of uh, batteries and in, in terms of, uh, you, you know, in terms of actually then also where you build them and the amount of models that uh, use the same parts, then i I, th- I think you can i mean it's the it's the age-old economies of scale isn't it you've got uh, so all these uh f- uh there are four different uh small cars all going to be made in spain all going to be made off the same platform they're going to be 50 percent the same the tops are going to be different there's going to be uh, a volkswagen hatchback that's the one that gets under um 25 000 euros or 22 000 pounds and then uh, but there's a an su volkswagen suv there's a skoda suv and there's the this is the sort of sporty hatch from cupra which uh what well, they will all sell for over twenty-five thousand euros so and the what yeah as long as you get the the you know the headline model it's under twenty two under 22 000 pounds um and you've got the, the bw say they've got the battery supply chain all lined up crucially with LFP, the the sort of iron-based lithium-ion battery that uh, is uh, being used more and more for sort of more entry-level cars, and then I think they can do
0: it. Sam, surely a car like this, ultimately, it will hold appeal even in the US. I mean, could a small, cheap EV tempt people out of their F-150 Lightnings?
1: (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) That's The... The buyers of the F-150 Lightning are spending sixty thousand dollars or more. You know, uh, I've I've heard stories of ninety-five thousand dollar Lightning sitting on dealership lots. So it, it, this is a, a different market for the United States. And going back to the the Ford point, the entry level Ford model in the United States is the Maverick. It's a pickup truck. It's a tiny pickup truck, but it's a pickup truck. Um, Sam, getting... you might have
2: to define tiny
1: there. I, I, oh. We, we, have, the same,
2: we don't have the same viewpoint as what tiny. No. Is.
1: Correct. It, it is, it is not Fiesta tiny. It is, it is, uh, and Fiesta might not even be tiny to you. So <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I, we, we can establish that small. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, the,
1: it is a small truck uh, and it sells for uh, un- well under $30,000 in the United States. It, the base price, the initial base price was around 20. Uh, so this is what an entry level vehicle now looks like in, in the United States. Um, bringing over an electric small car is probably not the best idea. The, the idea of bringing a, a new car to the United States just isn't a good idea because the market is so quickly shifting towards crossovers. So if you brought over the, the ID2X, the crossover version, that might sell. But again, it would have to be on price. And, and because of the way it's set up, it would have to be built in North America. Because that automatically takes, you know, thirty-seven fifty or seventy-five hundred dollars off the price, depending on where the batteries come from. So, it's uh, it's a definitely a different market. You have you can't treat uh, the small the entry level American buyer the same as an entry level European buyer because the European buyer looks for a car, looks for a a small vehicle, and American buyers just want big and heavy and. And overwrought, and it—it's it, it, an interesting market.
0: <laughs> do we not need a uh, Do we not need a global shift towards smaller, cheaper, and shorter-range electric cars if we're going to make a sustainable supply chain of of the materials we need to build these things?
2: Well, yeah, we do. But you know, try telling the consumer that they that they can then they can have a short-range vehicle and you know and and and, and like it I, the the problem is that you know people will always buy for you know sort of 100 percent, 99 percent use case and won't you know look for the 89 percent use case which might mean that they can do with half the battery size and therefore you know buy a car for you know i, I don't know like a quarter uh, uh, sort of three quarters of the price um so yeah and 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 also, the other thing is, you know, the car makers at the moment have got to add, got to sell these things for a price that uh, can add a margin on top of a very pricey battery. So, um, once you've built the car, you might as well just shove an extra large battery in there, you know, to, to make it as appealing as possible to be able to sell to people who are aren't willing to put up with a load of compromises.
1: Yeah, and that's the that's the reason why the transition to EVs in the United States is going to be slow, because the buyers do expect to have a one to one conversion for their car from their ICE car to their BEV car, and if if it's if it can't go two hundred miles on a charge, if it can't go three hundred miles on a charge, you're going to turn them off right away. Uh, I expect, as an American buyer, I expect to be able to get in my car and drive for six hours straight before I need to refuel. I I I can't have a vehicle that can only go 150 or 200 miles because I want to be able to drive long distances just at the drop of a hat. So it, it, it doesn't fit the American buyer's attitude and it, you need a minimum of 200, 250 miles
0: just to sell the vehicle, to, just to get it off the dealer lot. You should come here because six hours is a hundred miles in, in the UK. <laughs> um, but Sam, it can't be slow this transition, can it? In these in these targets that we've that we've heard about in the past week or so, um, it's got to be a majority of electric vehicles sold by by twenty thirty two. It can't come down completely to consumer preference because if that was the case, ten years is nowhere near enough time. It,
1: the the goals that that the Biden administration set out for. Two-thirds of the vehicles being fully electric will not happen. It, from our best estimate, we're saying about 45% in 2032 will be in the United States will be electric. Uh, most of the rest will be hybrid. So, in order to get to the emissions levels they need, we're going to see we're going to see improved fuel uh, uh, emissions controls on internal combustion engines, a- increase of hybridization. And definitely growth of BEVs, but it's just not going to be two-thirds of the vehicles on the uh, being sold in 2032 being ev that's just not going to happen um yeah. the transition well, is not going to be that quick
2: sam what do you reckon how many uh plug-in hybrids how, how plug-in hybrid compliance cars are there going to be to hit that target
1: well it, it all depends on how they treat plug-in hybrids because as we know we know in north america nobody plugs their cars in so <laughs> It, it doesn't get the, the emissions you want out of it. It it could be, a, like you said, a compliance vehicle. And on paper, it, gets, it has better emissions. But people are just driving like a, a normal hybrid and not getting the full benefit of it.
0: Mm, yeah,
2: we have the same problem.
0: Well, uh, I was going to say closing thoughts, Nick. Do you think we stand more of a chance of, uh, again, we being Europe, do you think Europe stands more of a chance of meeting uh the targets and the uh the objectives that have been set here
2: yeah i don't see why not i mean the the, the markets are already uh well ahead of uh the us i think last year we were uh, what 17 uh evs here uh against six percent in the us uh so you know we're well on our way um i mean it, it, you, it, you're going to have trouble converting the final um you know, maybe 10, 20 percent, I think, but by then, you know, battery uh, uh, technology will have moved on. Um, uh, the, the 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 way the manufacturers are optimizing their cars for things like range, you know, with the, the aerodynamics, and uh, they will have got the supply chain sorted out by then. And uh, and we're starting to have, you know, sort of recycled materials coming back into the market as well. So you know, the pressure on mining, uh, all, the, all these raw materials is going to be taken off a little bit. So I think uh, I, I don't think we're going to have the problem, because the price will have come down to make them acceptable. Um, I think there may be some issues on the sort of more of the, the culture war side of things, as um, you know, people get crossed, um, maybe reasonably, maybe unreasonably, so I think that's going to be the, bit, the, the bigger battle. But uh, I, I, I don't think, you know, if everyone was being rational, I don't think it's going to be a problem.
0: Well, a touch of optimism on which to end proceedings there. Thank you for that. Um, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Nick. And thank you very much, Sam, for joining us. That was a, that was a great discussion. Really enjoyed it. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again on the next episode of Autocar Businesses Editors Briefing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks you <music>